are listening to the Innovo Podcast, a ministry of Innovo Vineyard Church in Wichita, Kansas. To learn more about Innovo, you can visit us online at innovovineyard.com. We hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, hey, today we're starting a new sermon series called Released by the Cross. And we're going to be focusing on the Lord Jesus and why He had to die and what that means for us today. So... Our goal is going to be a couple things. One, uh, I hope we can better understand what the Lord Jesus did for us on the cross and uh, how it defines who we are. That's kind of one of our goals. And I think this identity is going to serve as a foundation for our future and uh, what God has for us to do. So we want to know who we are, and then we want to know what we have to do because what we have to do flows out of who we are. And plus, it's just good for us to stop and reflect on the Lord Jesus' death. I mean, he literally suffered and bled and died. And it has to be something we talk about probably more than we actually do. Um, And it was an intentional act of sacrifice and obedience. He wasn't a victim. He chose to go and to die for us. And that's good to remember that and reflect on that. So, So our focus, each Sunday we're going to take a different thing that Jesus accomplished on the cross and he didn't do it, you know, we, we talk about, well, the cross was for us, and it is for us, but the cross was also for the obedience of, for, of him to the Father. It, it, was, it was bigger than just us, but it included us, and it was for us. So each day we'll have a focus, and our focus today is uh, that the Lord Jesus died to release us from captivity, to release us from captivity. Now, release means to be set free or allowed to escape from confinement. So how many of you guys have ever been held in some kind of confinement before? You know, I think a lot, I think a lot of us have at some point, you know, literal or figurative, figuratively, <laughs> if I could say it that way. Um, I've been released from confining jobs before, and I've been fired from some jobs. It's good to be fired every once in a while. If you've never been fired, you haven't, you know, been in, you haven't been, even had too many jobs probably. But you'll, you'll think this is funny probably, but it's a silly illustration. When I was five, my buddy Todd had a birthday. He was turning six. So we went over to his house. We went down in the basement, and we had this big party. And off of the basement, he had, they had a cellar. Do you know the difference between a basement and a cellar? You know, a basement is, a, is kind of, it's got cement walls, and, and a cellar is a hole in the dirt. So there was a, a tunnel. There's a tunnel in the dirt where you store stuff. So being five and six, you know, the party's breaking up, and it's like, I heard there was a cellar. It's like, let's go explore the cellar. So about eight of us went into the cellar, and while we were in the dirt cellar, one of these rascally kids, you know, at every birthday party, there's some no-good kids, you know? So these no-good kids lo- shut the door and locked it, and I said, we were in the cellar, locked in the cellar, and then they took off. So everyone's gone. We're down there alone. We're locked in the cellar, being held in confinement, basically, and we do what any good five-year-old would do. We screamed our heads off, help, get us out. Nobody can hear us. Everybody's upstairs. Or they've left. So um, it's dark. It's dirty. It's confining. Finally, we decided, let's just go, all of us, push against the door at the same time. And we did that, and the door popped open, and we were released from confinement. Now, that's kind of a silly illustration, but a lot of people have been in worse captivity or confinement than that in life, for sure, haven't they? Uh, Some people have literally been held captive. Some people have been imprisoned. Uh, Some have been stuck in situations where there seemed to be no way out. And I think many of us have had times in our life where we've been 
stuck in an addiction or a habit or something that just seemed inescapable, even a relationship that wasn't healthy. And we feared if we didn't get some help, we're never going to find our way out. Well, the good news is this. God's heart for people is that they not be stuck in bondage. God wants to release people from captivity. In fact, I'd say this, the ministry of the Lord Jesus that he proclaimed was he came to release people from bondage and captivity, no matter what it is, sins, addictions, demonic bondage, anything that holds us back from freedom, God wants us to be released. Now, this theme of being released from bondage and captivity is all through the Bible, and there's many things we could have chose from, but today I want to talk about the Exodus, if you read that, and there's a whole book called Exodus, and in this book, we see there is a whole group of people being held in bondage or confinement. God took these people under his wing, they, they went to Egypt because there was a famine, the Egyptians were afraid of them, so they confined them for 430 years, they were held in captivity and basically used as slave labor by the most dominant world power of the time. And they used them to literally build their cities and empires for 430 years, they were stuck. Our uh, key verse today is in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. So let's stand and we can read um, what, what God says about this in the Word. If somebody wants to read it, there's two slides for us. Nick, our official reader, is gone, so maybe, Sky, you should read that for us, you think? you got big shoes to fill. Years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down at the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. All right, thank you. You can be seated. It says, the people groaned in their captivity to the Lord. Uh, sometimes groaning is a good prayer, isn't it? You ever groaned a prayer before to the Lord? <laughs> Well, God heard their groaning. He raised up a guy named Moses as an instrument to lead them out of captivity and bondage. And working through Moses, God enacted 10 plagues on the Egyptians to, to force Pharaoh's hand to let them go. And they were, you know, frogs and locusts and darkness and just different things that, that God let them go. And each time Pharaoh says, okay, now I'll let them go. And then he changed his mind because his heart was hardened. And God gave him every chance, but he wouldn't yield. So finally, God declared a tenth plague, which was the death of the firstborn in the land of Egypt. But there was a problem. In the land of Egypt, it wasn't just the Egyptians, it was also the Hebrews. So God made a way for his people to be saved. Because what's on his heart? Releasing people from captivity. So he said, every man was to select a lamb without spot or blemish for the household. One lamb for the household. Had to be a lamb that was perfect. No, couldn't, couldn't have a limp or any kind of defect. It had to be a perfect lamb. And uh, they would bring this lamb to the front door of the home, and they would kill it at twilight. They would slit its throat. They would let the, the blood catch in a, in a basin, and they would take the blood of the lamb and they would apply it to the door. Actually, the frame above the door. Now, I don't, I don't have a frame over this door. We tried, but we did a good job. Thank you for bailing me out with the door, Blake. I appreciate that. 
but they would take that blood, they would put it in a basin, in subsequent years, they would put it in a basin that had a point on the bottom of it, so you couldn't set it down, so it wouldn't congeal. They would take the fresh blood of that lamb, and they would put it over the top of the door, and they would put it down the side of the door frame. They would actually use hyssop branches, and they would dip that in, and they would put all around the door, there would be this blood of this lamb that was slain by the head of the household. Now, they didn't put blood on the threshold of the doorway because that's where the lamb was killed. So you could picture this. There would be blood on the ground from the lamb being killed, and then they would take the, lamb, the blood and they would apply it. And this, this practice of doing this wasn't original to this act, uh, it actually came from a, uh, an Assyrian word. Well, let me get to that in a minute. Let me, let me I, I missed something I wanted to say. I do that often. Uh, let me, let's read Exodus 12, 22 real fast. It said, God's directions to the people through Moses, drain the blood into a basin, then take a bundle of hyssop branches, dip it in the blood, brush the hyssop across the top and sides of the door frames of your houses, and no one may go through the door until morning. And then what would the family then would go inside, they would actually come outside, they would pass through the doorway with the blood on the threshold and all around. They would go into the house, they would roast the lamb, they would eat it with bitter salad and uh, bread made without yeast. And at twilight or six o'clock, they would um, eat this lamb together in what we call now the Passover meal. Um, they would uh, kill the lamb at three, they would roast it, they would eat it at six. And whatever was left over, they were to burn it. Um, no bone of the lamb was supposed to be broken. They would roast it whole. I mean, fur and guts and head and, and everything. When I was in Tanzania the first time, I ordered some tilapia, and I expected a nice little filet. What I got was a fish with a head and eyeballs looking at me. And I was told a great delicacy is fishing the meat out of the head. And I said, I'll, I'll pass on that. I'll just see I'm the filet. So they would roast the whole lamb. It was, a, it was a very gruesome thing. You can imagine being a little kid and dad takes the, and often it was a family lamb and they would, dad would take it to the front of the house and slit its throat and drain the blood. And, and then they would take it and roast it on a fire hole. And then they, God commanded that they eat it with their, their shoes on and their clothes on and their staff in their hand because he was preparing them for freedom. Their release was coming right after this. and It would remind them for thousands of years of release from captivity that was coming. And God says to have them eat it with urgency. It's the Lord's Passover. You know, you ever eat a meal with urgency? I, sat, I was at a restaurant once and some military guys came in to eat. You ever sit next to some military guys when they eat? Those guys eat fast. They eat with urgency. They, they ate their meal in like 10 minutes. They were done and up and out. And I was just on my appetizer. And that night, the plague of death moved throughout all of Egypt, and the firstborn of every animal and person died, except for those in a home that had the blood of the lamb all around the doorframe and on the threshold. Now, imagine, imagine that you're a family in that time in Egypt, a Hebrew family, and you're living through this experience. Imagine what that would be like for you. 
Uh, the lamb has been killed. You ate it together in community in your, in your house. You burned what was left, and you're sitting there in candlelight as this plague of death is moving through the entire country, going into every house that didn't have the frame, the blood on the frame, and the firstborn were dying of animals and of people. And you're in this house, and you're in this house, and you can't see the blood because you're inside. And God said, don't go outside, stay inside the house. And, but by, by, you, you have confidence that blood is out there on that doorframe, and that plague of death is going to see that and not come in. And it would be something you would never forget. Um, and this has been reenacted by Jewish people and even some Christians for 3,500 years, probably. This has been reenacted. This was the Lord's Passover. The blood of the lamb was their covering and their protection. It kept out the evil. It kept out the death from coming into their house. Now, there are so many things. There's so many pictures of the Lord Jesus and what he did for us on the cross in this, in, in this uh, Passover that happened. And we'll unpack a lot of these things over the course of the series. But I wanted to highlight one thing that you may, might not know. The word for Passover, it doesn't really mean Passover. It's, the word is Pesach. And you can see it like a Jewish person, Pesach. And you could get that in there, Pesach. And it was, really was from an Assyrian background. And it was a, a lot of times what God did to help, God really gives people illustrations to help them to get it, to get truth. So one of the things that he did, he took this Assyrian custom that the Assyrians had many gods, and they would go and they would sacrifice to their gods at the, the threshold of their homes. They would do this, because that word literally means to spring or hop or dance over. And when they would make the sacrifice to their, one of their many gods in the Assyrian culture, um, they, they believe um, that their god would come and hop over that threshold into the house. That word Pesach, that's where that came from. So um, it, was, it was like a blood covenant they were making with one of those gods. That's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? Um, but the belief was when they, when they sacrificed to one of their Assyrian gods on the threshold of their door, uh, protection would come to the family. The family would walk through the doorway where the animal had been slain, and it would symbolize them actually making a covenant with that god that they would uh, hold on to. And they believed that their god would come into the house and stand in the doorway and protect them from harm and evil. And that was an understanding that the Israelites would have understood and known at that time. And they'd have been aware of this. So when Moses told them, slay the lamb at the threshold, uh, that would have made sense. I, th I think putting the blood all around the door was something that he added. I don't know that for a fact, but I believe that to be true. And the practice helped them understand the, this blood was not just about protection, but they were entering into a covenant with Yahweh. And you've got to understand this, for the, for the Israelites, they had been in slavery for 430 years. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and those guys followed the Lord. They go into slavery, and they're kind of isolated from that for 400 years. Moses shows up to deliver them, and they're like, who is this God that's going to deliver us? And he said, this is the God of your ancestors, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's come to deliver you. 
So they're making, as they're, they're painting this blood over their houses, this whole nation of the Hebrews that are going to be released are making this covenant together with the Lord, uh, symbolically through the blood of this lamb, pointing to the Lord Jesus, who was later going to come and pay for the sins of the world. It was a great picture of what was to come. Very interesting. So this blood covenant they were entering into was actually going to be the key to their freedom. So they killed the lamb, they put the, door, the blood over it, and the whole family would come outside, and the family would walk through the doorway with the blood, signifying they were entering into a covenant with this God who had come to rescue them, named Yahweh, um, the Lord. And they were agreeing with the blood sacrifice, and this opened the door for their freedom. They were literally going to, through relationship with this God, be released from 430 years of bondage into what God had for them, his destiny for them, uh, all that he had for them. And obviously, this is a great picture for us of what the Lord Jesus did for us on the cross. He was the lamb without blemish slain at the doorway for us. He died on the cross, and his blood uh, allows us to come into covenant with the Lord. So in a sense, when we step into that relationship with God, it's, it's almost like we're stepping through that doorway of covenant with the blood to the Lord, saying, God, I, I want to be in covenant with you. I want to know you. I want to experience your freedom. I, I'm, I'm inviting you in. You know, we talk about that, you know, God, come into my heart. It sounds a little Sunday schoolish. But, you know, it, it ties in with that Assyrian thought of their gods where you're, you're going through into covenant, but then you're inviting that God into your home to serve as a protection and covering for your life. That's what was happening at the cross. And it also paints the picture of, uh, it was the defeat of Pharaoh, wasn't it? Not only was God releasing them from bondage, from bondage, but Pharaoh was being defeated. In the same way, when Jesus died on the cross, it says he disarmed the principalities and rulers in the spiritual realm. And he was defeating Satan at the cross through his sacrifice and his blood. And, and Paul puts it like this, Colossians 1, 13 through 14. I love this verse. For he, God, rescued us from the domain of darkness. That's not a word we use a lot anymore, domain. And he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So before the blood covenant, he says, you are in a different domain you enter the blood covenant, you're in, now you're in a new domain, but in the old domain, and that word domain in the, in the Greek, it was ex, excuse, excusia, and it meant um, authority, and it meant uh, a jurisdiction of control and power. You know, the authority part's interesting. Remember when Jesus, uh, the centurion came to Jesus and said, my, my servant is dying, and would you come and pray for him? In fact, you don't need to even come and pray, because I'm a man under authority, exousia, I'm a man under authority, the centurion said, and I tell this one to go and that one to go, and I give the orders and they do what I command them to do, and I understand, Jesus, that you have authority over sickness, and you don't even have to come. You just give the word because you have exousia, and that sickness is going to leave. And Jesus says, I've not seen so much great faith as this man has in the entire land of Israel, and he's a Roman, and uh, that's what Jesus did and healed, healed, healed his servant. So Paul says we are under the authority 
of darkness, of Satan, the jurisdiction of the enemy. And each kingdom has its own rules, doesn't it? You know, how many, if you've traveled, traveled internationally, what you do in the United States, you can't necessarily do in a different country. You know, it's different. You've got to know the customs and the rules and things that, that you have to do. In the devil's kingdom, it's darkness. You're captive. You know, a child born into captivity doesn't even know they're captive. They just think it's normal. You know, it's not until they're, they're older and they see free people, like, well, why can't we do that? Well, then mom and addicts would explain, well, they're free. We're actually slaves. You know, a lot of people go through life and they don't even realize the captivity they're in. There's confusion in the devil's kingdom. You don't know what's going on. There's judgment and punishment and harshness. There's trouble and sickness and bitterness and pain. There's addiction and bondage and captivity. But when we enter into Jesus' kingdom, it's a different kingdom. What are some things that mark Jesus' kingdom compared to the devil's kingdom? What are some things? What's his kingdom like? Righteousness? Peace? Joy? And the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, is it darkness? No, it's light. You can see. <laughs> it's God's light in your life. Mercy reigns in God's kingdom, not judgment. Uh, there's grace. There's a power from the Lord to be who you were made to be in the first place. The power of God working in your life. There's a future and there's freedom. Here's what the Bible said happened to us. This is interesting. Again in Colossians 2, you were dead because of your sins in the devil's kingdom and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Now, what does it mean to disarm somebody? Take away their weapons. Take away their weapons. There you go. That's what, that's what happened at the, at the cross. Jesus took away the weapons of the enemy that he was using against you. That's what happened. Uh, now, in Paul's day, there was an interesting picture with us, too. When they would go to a, a, a land to conquer it and bring them into the Roman Empire, okay, there would be a fearsome general or somebody in control. They would go and they would defeat that general and take that territory and it would become Roman territory. Another picture of the kingdom in a sense of just taking the territory. And they would take that captured general who might have had a big reputation for being this fierce warrior and they would strip him and they would bind him, and they would bring him into Rome. So you'd have this procession of the, the horses and the Roman army and the Roman general, and everybody's clapping. And then behind him would come that general of the captured army, naked and bound and walking. And people would boo and hiss and throw things, you know. But the picture was, we were afraid of that guy. That, that naked guy bound, he does not look so fierce because he's been disarmed. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He defeated Satan. He paraded him through the heavenlies and said, this is the one we were so afraid of. And, and we do not have to be under his rule or authority or his power. He's a defeated general. See, when Jesus 
came to the earth with this in mind, he proclaimed this, the spirit of the Lord is on me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim that captives will be released through the cross. The blind would see, the oppressed would be set free. The time of God's favor has come. He said, this is what my kingdom looks like. Good news for the poor, captives set free, the blind are going to see, oppressed are going to be released, and God's favor. And he backed it up in Jesus' ministry with signs and wonders. And then the Lord Jesus went to the cross and gave himself as the Passover lamb that all this was pointing to. The future event that all this was pointing to was going to happen. And his blood marked the freeing of those in captivity. And just like the ancient Hebrews are set free from the rule and authority and domain of Pharaoh, God sets free those who enter into his kingdom through his blood from all the power of the enemy and all that authority that he had over our lives before we came to him and entered into blood covenant. So what does this mean for us today? That's a great picture. But what's it mean for us as, as God's people? Well, God in his great love, he wants all to enter his kingdom. And when they do, for them to experience freedom from bondage, from addiction, from sin, from anything that holds people from, from becoming who God made them to be. Um, from all the schemes and authority of the enemy. And Jesus won that for us on the cross. So if we've stepped into this with him, we've got this identity. This is what I, I said we're going to talk about identity. What is our identity as, as ones who have walked through the blood of the Lord Jesus and entered into blood covenant with him? We are a free people. Now, you might not always feel like it, but if you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, if you're in covenant with him, you are, you are a free person. He won your freedom for you at the cross. We've got a new king. We're in his kingdom, his economy, his currency, his life. And not only does he make us just subjects of a new kingdom, he says, now you're my sons and daughters. There's, there's relationship there. You know, he won this for us on the cross, giving his own blood and dying for us to pay for all the things that we've done wrong and the things that we were trapped in. Some were our fault, some weren't. And he, and he forgave us and he releases us from those things. And then he goes an extra step and says, you're not just my subjects, you're, you're my family. You, you are sons and daughters in my life. Which just makes us want, us to, makes us want to love him and serve him and, and, uh, and do all we can to make him famous and to make him known. And we can just be fully assured that he loves us and that his, his kingdom is our kingdom. And if there's an area of our lives that we're not experiencing that freedom, we, we just bring it to him. Lord, I'm, just, I'm, 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 I'm seeing this freedom show up in my life in these areas, but there's this one area I'm stuck in. I'm stuck in an addiction or I'm stuck in sin or I'm stuck in unbelief or I'm stuck in something. And, and God, you're my king and Lord, just help me, to, help me to experience your freedom in this area of my life. And I've, I've been through that. Um, you might look at me like, Greg, you're still a mess. And so a lot of that's kind of true. But you know, the Lord has released me from so many things and, and healed me of so many things. And I'm still in process and you're still in process. But that freedom is showing up more and more every day uh, as we stay in his house, you know. And, and there's an interesting thing here. And I've... Don't make this too black and white, but let me, let me just say this. Um, when the lamb was slain for the, for the people, 
One lamb for the entire household. And there's, there's this, not everybody needed their own lamb. It was a lamb for the household. And I was thinking about the Philippian jailer the other day. In Acts 16, you know, Paul and Silas are in jail. They're in prison. There's an earthquake and God releases them. And the, the jailer's going to kill himself because he knows if his prisoners escape, he's going to die a horrible death. And Paul yells out, no, don't kill yourself. We're all here. And the, and the Philippian jailer, he goes and he says, uh, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they, and they replied, and I think they were referring back to this. Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. <laughs> and they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Um, <laughs> the blood was applied to the door and the family was in that house. As long as they stayed in the house, that protection was there for their whole family. And a lot of times, you know, we think of things individually a lot of times. But I want us to think of our families for a minute. You know, the blood of the Lord Jesus, when we step into that, especially as a head of a household, there is this, there is this aspect where there is protection and covering for your family. Where God is, wants to bless your family. It's not just for you and what you're experiencing. And that's hard even when family members are making bad decisions or they're not following the Lord. Or if we're, we're worried about them. <laughs> I feel like the Lord wants to say to you today that as you see this picture of what he's done for us, I hope it gives you faith in what God wants to do in your family. I hope you understand that that, that blood was shed for your family. And there's, there's a grace there for them to know the Lord and follow the Lord, even if you're not seeing it show up in your life right now. Does that make sense? It's about the family. And as you pray for your family, um, have, the, have this picture in mind and have this picture of the Philippian jailer that Paul said, hey, if, as you believe your family, <laughs> you know. And I think that's part of this as well. I just, just wanted to hit that real quick. Um, if you haven't stepped into his kingdom and said, God, I want to be in covenant with you through your blood, just like the Israelites were, Lord, your, the, your death on the cross is for me. You know, that invitation is there too to step into that. And this is the great news too. Not, do, not only do we get to experience that freedom for ourselves, but we get to continue his ministry of helping people step into relationship with the Lord Jesus and be released from captivity. You know, in the history of the church, I won't give a lot of illustrations from, from us because it's some of those personal illustrations about us and this family. But in, 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 in my years of just following the Lord, I've seen a lot of people step into a relationship with God and into freedom as well. Um, years ago, there was a, a kid from a neighboring city who came to church and uh, we shared about Jesus and talked about some of the things we're talking about now. And he said, man, I want that. And uh, so we began to pray about that, and, and he just, like, closed up. And, and finally I said, what? He says, well, I was actually someone who worshipped, literally worshipped Satan. <laughs> and Satan just told me that I can't do this. This is not for me because I'm already in covenant with him. <laughs> and I said, well, that's a lie. You know, don't worry about that. So let's, let's not actually let you know with what we call now the sinner's prayer. Let's just pray and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and say yes to him. And, and, uh, and he couldn't do it. His, his, literally his mouth, he could not, he could not speak. It was, there was something just holding on to his mouth. 
So we'd stopped and prayed for him. And then slowly he just began to confess Jesus as his Lord and Savior. It took like 10 minutes. We just worked through this. And he got through it and boom, it was, it was, there was freedom from captivity and it was gone. And he just began living, for this kid who didn't know anything, he began living for the Lord. He said, I'm working on my driveway in my car. And my dad comes up. He, he, my, I haven't seen my dad in a year and a half. He said, I hated my dad. I hated my dad. And he comes walking up. And he said it was the weirdest thing. And he's, he's totally unchurched. He has no idea. He's not using Christian words. He said, you know, I hated my dad. But when he walked in, walked by me, this thing came over me. And I said, Dad, I love you. And I forgave my dad. What is that? <laughs> I said, well, that's the, that's the presence of the Lord. God's working in your life. And he started to see this freedom. Because a lot of times, one of the things we, st- we get stuck in, free- in bondage in is Jesus forgives us, but we have a hard time forgiving others because of things that have been done to us. And it's not minimizing the thing that was done to us, but God wants to bring us freedom to forgive people that have hurt us because that's the new economy we're living in in his kingdom. There's forgiveness and mercy for all. So we can forgive people. You can afford to forgive. And he experienced that. There was another kid that, uh, named Ed who was... We do this all-night prayer thing. We go around, we pray to all the high schools in our area. We start at 9 o'clock at night. We pray at nine high schools for nine hours. And people would bring their friends. And, uh, and I wouldn't even know who all, like, who are all these kids that come, you know? And this one kid named Ed came. He got invited by a friend, and, and he saw just how God was working through the prayers and the relationship that other students had with the Lord. And, and he decided, man, I want in on this. And they led him to the Lord right there in our all-night prayer. I, didn't, I wasn't even part of it. I didn't know what happened. And then later, Ed just really began to grow, and he began to follow the Lord. And there were some things in Ed's life that still, people were saying some things about him. They would see him, and they'd think, well, he's, he's this. And they, were, they would attribute these things to him. And he was one of my interns. So one day, I'm praying for my interns, and the Lord just points it out to me and says, you know, tell Ed this is not who you are. So we're praying. I said, Ed, you know, the enemy is telling you that you're still in bondage in this area of your life. I just want you to know it's not true. And Ed starts growling at me. Now, how many know when you're praying for somebody, they start growling at you? That's usually not a, that's not a good thing. Actually, it was a good thing because it, it revealed what was going on inside of him. And, 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 we, and we prayed over him, and he, and he accepted that this, my, that's not my identity, and that power is broken off of him. And uh, Ed's in ministry today and leading people and pastoring and taking trips around the country, leading people to Jesus, and it's just really amazing. But what God wants to do through us is to help people find the freedom that comes from knowing the Lord Jesus. Um, Over the coming years, we're going to see a lot of people coming to the Lord and wanting freedom in their lives. A lot of people aren't too sure about this Jesus thing, but when they can be released from captivity, it's a big deal. When they can be released from sickness, it's, it's a big deal. Uh, there was a study by this guy named Ramsey McMillan who wrote a book called Christianizing the Roman Empire. And he wanted to study and find out why this illegal religion called Christianity grew and became the dominant force in the Roman Empire when there were so many other religious beliefs. Every captured people brought their gods into the, into the system and there were, there were all these gods, yet Christianity became the dominant religion in the Roman Empire. And he wanted to know how that happened. And as he studied and looked at Josephus and history, he came up with, he figured out it was two reasons. Number one, 
um, was the power of the gospel to set people free from demonic bondage. There was a lot of demonic bondage. And people were being set free and coming to Jesus. And that was the number one reason that Christianity was spreading. And the second one was this, the power of the gospel to heal the sick. And those two things, that people were getting set free, why wouldn't you want to serve a God who has the power to affect your daily life and release you from bondage and release you from sickness? And that's, the, that's what he came up with, with the, number, the main reasons that people um, bought into Christianity and Jesus and their lives were changed. They became part of the church. Um, so what we're doing right now is we're using our Wednesday night leadership time to prepare us how to minister and lead people to freedom. That's what we're doing. That's what we've been doing through our spiritual gifts. We're doing it in the next segment. So if you want to learn specifically just how to help people find freedom, uh, Wednesday nights are good. We're going to use this time to reinforce our identity. What's our identity point that we learned today? If you're in blood covenant with the Lord Jesus, you are free. You are a free person. You are free from captivity. And we're using our outreaches and our food pantry and different things just to learn how to pray for people and see them set free. You know, sometimes the being set free comes before the stepping into God's kingdom. Sometimes the stepping into God's kingdom comes and people are set free. But that's our message and it's who we are and it's what we want to do. And we've seen so many here be touched by God's power and step into a relationship with Him and we're going to see more. Uh, it's going to be hard to keep up. <laughs> and that's what I'm praying and that's what I believe is going to happen here very soon. So we have a good picture just let's hit our identity again. Uh, when we're in relationship with the Lord, we are what? We are free. We are free. We are free. We're going to take communion together. I think we're going to take communion together every Sunday in the series. It's just a good reminder for us of what we've been through. So grab your communion. I want to, I want to pray for us. There's, a, there's an aspect of this that um, is so powerful for us that the blood of the Lord Jesus sets us free. And we're taking this today in conjunction with the, uh, with the, with the blood on the door. But on, on the cross, the Lord Jesus, he gave his, his body to be broken for us on the cross. And uh, on the cross, he was, he was whipped, and he was beaten, and he was nailed to a cross, and literally he gave his body for us uh, on the cross. So I want to pray for us and we're going we're gonna to thank God for a sacrifice on the cross for us and we're going to take the, take the cracker together. So let's pray. Um, Lord Jesus, we thank you for what the realities of what we talked about today. And Lord, we, I just pray that you would just, that we would step into freedom in every area of our lives. That Lord, we would walk in freedom from anything that holds us back. And Lord, we just experience the release that comes through your blood and through your body that was broken for us on the cross. Lord, as we take this cracker that represents your body being broken for us, God, I just pray that, that, that freedom and healing would be released into us. Lord, that we would experience even a taste of your freedom in this moment that we're here together. And Lord, we thank you that you just didn't symbolically die or die in spirit, but you physically gave your life for us on the cross um, as the perfect sacrifice, the lamb that was slain. And Lord, thank you for this, in Jesus' name. Let's go ahead and take the bread together.
And then we have our illustration for today. <laughs> How Jesus died, and one reason he died was just to, so that our, his blood could set us free from everything. And I don't know if you're experiencing some bondage or maybe an area, might, might be good to say it like this, an area in your life where you feel stuck. Stuck in bad choices, stuck in a situation, stuck in an addiction, mental or physical or spiritual. And you just feel stuck. And it's just like, Lord, I just, I just want to experience your release in my life in this area. The blood of the Lord Jesus sets us free. And it, it, it gives us eternal life, but it sets us free in the here and now. And God can work in what you're going through now, your situation. So I just want to encourage you, if there's an area where you feel stuck, or maybe this as well, we talked about the family thing today, how the blood shed over the door was for the family. And you got family members that are just, just far from the Lord right now. And you just want to lift them up in prayer. As we, as we take the blood together, as we take the juice, let's just, let's just remember that. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your power to release us from captivity. Lord, if there's an area where we're stuck, Lord, we pray that even right now that would just manifest and show up in our life, the freedom and release um, to, to get us out of this situation, Lord, to release us from any bondage or captivity uh, physical, spiritual, emotional in our life, that, Lord, even now that you would just manifest freedom in our lives and in our families. And we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's take the juice together.